The Guardian. I'm John Plunkett, and this is Media Talk. Coming up this week, I want to clear my name. I want to go. I wanted to go trial. I want to stand there and swear in the Bible and say the absolute truth. Imogen Thomas denies allegations of blackmail as her bid to lift a court injunction takes an unexpected turn. We look at the latest twist in the media storm over gagging orders. Also in the podcast, Hugh Grant steps up his floppy-haired fight against the tabloid press. Plus, is UTV Media's Sony-winning talk sport about to get a new sister station in the shape of Absolute Radio? And... There's, there's been, been a murder. Never mind the murder, there's been a decommission. Taggart is axed by ITV after 27 years. We take a look at all this week's TV news. This is Media Talk from The Guardian. Hello everyone, it's me in the chair this week after Matt Wells, ever the consummate gentleman, pulled out at the last minute. He's in New York trying to open a bank account and looking for a place to live. If he worked for the BBC, he'd probably commute. Anyway, here with me in the studio, I have Paul Robinson, Managing Director of Kids Co TV. Uh, Paul, I didn't see you at the Sonys this year. No, I, unfortunately I wasn't there. I was actually uh, somewhere else. I was actually in Bali at a TV conference. Oh, it's a, t- it's a tough it's life. It's a very tough life, isn't it? I sort of made that one somehow, just. Back next year, I hope. Uh, I hope so, yes. Uh, also here is uh, Jane Martinson, who's the uh, former Media Guardian editor, but now applying her trade as the Guardian's women's editor. Uh, now, Jane, I thought we had you on a golden handcuffs deal, but uh, I heard you on uh, the Richard Bacon show on Five Live this week. Was it, was it more fun than Media Talk? No, nothing can be more fun than Media Talk, especially when you're in the seat. Lovely, just a bit too much. <laughs> just a bit too much of a pause, but I'll take it. And uh, as an added bonus, a Brucey bonus, we've been joined by Wayne Garvey, who's the, uh, the BBC's former Mr Strictly Come Dancing, and uh, Grand Fromage at BBC Worldwide, who's now at uh, Super Indie All Three Media. Now, Wayne, just for people unfamiliar with All Three Media's work, can you give us uh, your three top shows? <gasps> uh, 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 yes, of course I can. Was this, was this part of the job Polyanx, interview? Skins, Right, Peep thank show. you very much. Oh, well, that's oh, more than no, enough. No, that's more than enough, I can keep going. You didn't mention Midsummer. I didn't mention Midsummer. Okay. Well, I did only ask for three. Uh, and Vicky Frost will be joining us later for a bumper, or for our American listeners, Fender TV review section. But let's start by talking about what's been going on in the courts this week. Imogen Thomas's legal fight, to name the married footballer with whom she had an affair, took a dramatic twist when she was accused of allegedly blackmailing the man. First for £50,000 and then for hundred grand. The former Big Brother star was backed in court by the son. Mr Justice Edie reserved his judgment but said there was ample reason not to trust Thomas and added there was evidence she had attempted to blackmail the footballer, something she strongly denies. Cue a very teary Imogen on the ITV this morning sofa. I'm so upset by what I've been called. I've been so tempted just to say, yeah, it's that person, because why should I be taking all this flack and him get away with everything, basically? You know, his life is... As normal. I don't know what he's going through at home, you know, none of us know. But people think that they know who it is, so they may be thinking that it's someone else and actually not him, so it ends up being a terribly confused pot, doesn't it? Yeah, well, yeah, that's what I'm saying, because so many people are guessing anyway. Some of them are getting it right, some of them are getting it wrong, and it can cause problems with other families as well, with the people that they're guessing, and it's not that person. I mean, I just think that it's just... It's just got way out of control now, and... Like I said, no-one's heard my statement. What's the reaction you're getting in the, from the public when you go out and about? Um, well, obviously, I haven't been out yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm hated. I'm absolutely hated. I've had loads of football fans telling me to die on Twitter. I mean, yeah, I can close my Twitter account down, but why should I be doing that? I will not read the newspapers now from now on because it's just too upsetting. 
like the papers will say on the front cover, blackmail, but until you read the story and it's not accurate. <laughs> oh, that's just hurt me today, just seeing that. So um, what do you want? What, what are you wanting to happen? Like, what do, you, do you just want to be able to... You want to be able to say his name, that's not going to happen. I want to clear my name. I want to go. I wanted to go to trial. I want to stand there and swear in the Bible and say the absolute truth. I, I had no intention to go into the paper. The Sun have admitted that today. I wanted that to come out ages ago, but obviously they didn't. Obviously didn't um, let it come out. It's in small print, but it's the truth. I had no involvement in this. I warned him. If I had no warned him, he would have been all over the newspapers. I will take it all away. I will take it all away. I haven't given my statement yet. Well, it is, as Philip Schofield said, a, a terribly confused pot. Uh, Jane, let, let's start with you. Um, what's your take on these injunctions? Uh, not least the fact that in this case, as well as the one involving the, uh, the TV star, the dildo and the prostitute, which I'm sure we're all familiar with, uh, both men's identities have been kept secret, but both women have had themselves uh, splashed all over the papers. Can this be fair? You know, you have to have some sympathy with someone whose name has been splashed all over the papers, but it is a really grey area. Um, it's, you know, there are, it's very hard to find black and white in many of these cases. However, what has happened in this case and what's happened in lots of other cases is the sort of double standards um, where the use of super injunctions, because they're taken out by the wealthy who have tended, nearly all of them have been taken out by men. I think only a couple that we know of were taken out by women. It does smack of rich man's justice, which should always give us pause, even if in individual cases, um, you know, there are questions here. I don't think anyone would be able to say that blackmail is a good thing. I think there are some cases where privacy should be uh, should be guaranteed. I think in all these cases, um, there is always a balance between the two articles of the human rights case that matter the one for privacy and the one that protects freedom of expression. I think the problem with super injunctions is that it's completely gone against freedom of expression. Justice Edie obviously has a long track record um, in going against newspapers and their ability to say anything. Um, Now, in this situation, in this case, we don't know, you know, innocent until proven guilty. The issue of blackmail, blackmail should never be um, allowed to infringe somebody's privacy. Um, She's right when she says, I want this to go to trial. I want people to know what's really happened. Or well, we all want that, really, I think. Do you have, you can imagine people not having a huge amount of sympathy for, for Imogen Thomas, seeing as the, the reason she's all over, the, all over the papers, you know, she only has herself to blame in one sense. Maybe she didn't see it going in this direction, but this is how it's ended up. Yeah, of course. And I mean, the problem with this, of course, is that if you say super injunctions are wrong, they're being used by rich men um, who do these things, you know, if they don't want want to get it in the paper then don't do it in the first place is it's seen as some sort of manifesto for kiss and tell stories that's a shame if that's the only rationale for not having super injunctions i don't think it is um you know should she as i think previously she said she was thrown to the lions it's quite tough what's happening to her you know whether or not she's done a deal with the son the son is obviously very interested in the story otherwise they wouldn't have backed her to to come forward with that but in lots of these cases you know, there is no option for these women who, uh, whether it's all like that or Helen Wood, you know, a, an escort who was paid um, but has then been stopped to actually t- tell her story or whether it's just someone who sort of wants to put her side of the story and not make financial gain. Um, you know, these are things that take slightly more sort of effort, I think, than just the very easy or it's just a kiss and tell story. I think super injunctions where somebody can do what they like and then use their their wealth and power to stop anything being said about it can't be right. 
Paul, I mean, f- forget about Big Brother. This is one reality show that's going to run and run. You know, it's fascinating stuff. I think it's fascinating, and I think we're all enjoying it to one level. But I agree with Jane. I think that uh, if there's an issue where money gives you a different set of um, uh, uh, privileges or a different set of, of, of legal protections, then that, that is wrong. Um, and I'm not quite sure why it's uh, just men who are taking out the super injunctions, because it's not to say that only men are wealthy. There are wealthy women. But it does seem as though women at the moment are the ones coming off worst. The problem is, of course, that uh, although uh, we've yet to go to trial, and therefore, you know, as, as you say, you know, um, innocent are proven guilty um this stuff does stick doesn't it the mere fact that um uh, it's exposed in in, uh, in in all sorts of media whether by choice or otherwise people do make judgments and of course even more worrying there are people who can't actually differentiate between you know what may or may not be truthful you know people there are people who believe if it's actually in a newspaper it's true i guess it's men taking out these injunctions because it's men who have a harder time keeping it zipped it would appear well you said it it's also a power relationship isn't it you sort of yes. the idea that super injunction is not just about privacy but about power and maintaining yeah. a sense of you know doing something and then being able to sort of treating the other half who has tended in these cases to be women yeah. sort of making them shut up like some sort of chattel i mean that you know that's where we get into the sort of power play of these super injunctions um we've had fred goodwin named in i can say that can't i yeah, you can, yes, you can. just can't say because, anything else. Uh, well, but it's been uh, Lord Oakeshott has stood up in Parliament and um, using parliamentary privilege has uh, named the sort of person and why, the reason for the super injunction. So, I mean, this whole facade, I think, the combination of slightly uh, parliamentary pr- privilege but also Twitter and the social media means that there's a huge issue here about privacy and social media and the way these things are getting out. It's a very complex time well you mentioned twitter there and and, and wayne uh social media digital media has has affected uh, hugely the way you make tv shows and how you interact with the audience don't you think twitter has just uh it's it's made this kind of whole argument the legal argument also almost redundant and um, jeremy hunt said that the law was an ass because the fact people can uh, type away on twitter naming the people who have allegedly taken out these injunctions but you can't do it in the newspapers although of course uh, there are other people allegedly who are innocent who who have been named i mean for, for me the issue about super injunctions is not kiss and tell stories or whatever you want to call it's about other things involving corporations and and uh, business issues and power arrangements in society and unfortunately we've kind of typically all we're talking about is this where there's a there's a more important story that we're not talking about with super injunctions having said that what, what we're seeing happening with the former leader of the imf it's quite interesting the stories that are coming out allegedly about him and his behavior in the past towards women i i take some some belief that in Britain that kind of behaviour, which if, if it's true, is absolutely unacceptable, mm. it would be almost impossible for uh, any public officer in Britain to behave like that, actually, yeah. because of our press, which is something we should be rather yeah. proud of, I think. Well, Wayne touched on there the, the, the important role that our tabloid press plays. Uh, Hugh Grant was on uh, Five Live's um, Richard Bacon show on Five Live. You'll, you'll know all about this, Jane. Um, and he said he was considering legal action against the news of the world for, home, for phone hacking and said that if he won a libel case against a tabloid, he wouldn't ask for any money, not, not that he needs it. Uh, he just asked for an, an assurance from the paper that they would never mention his name again. Uh, uh, Jane, what did you take of? Uh, I mean, Hugh said the, uh, there was no no use of the tabloid press, and the sooner they went out of business, the better. And uh, in fact, they, he'd be doing the tabloid journalists a favour, and they'd have to go and get a proper job. He also said that um, all films, and I mean, Wayne can say whether he agrees with this or not, so that any film or any um, thing that's actually created is there's got nothing to do with press publicity. One percent is um, is for publicity, and all the rest of it is the creativity of the work. 
um, which I, I can't remember him being that shy of using mm. the media in the past when he was an up-and-coming actor. Um, I mean, I think possibly pre-Divine Brown is very different, Hugh Grant, to post-Divine Brown. Does he have a point that sometimes there's an excessive prurience? I think sometimes, yeah, I think it would be hard for all of us to yeah. sit here and go, mm, sometimes perhaps yeah. that shouldn't have been run. I mean, it, it's very hard to feel sympathetic for a man, though, who, what does he say on Newsnight about um, all men are naughty and men are a bit liable to be naughty, as if somehow there's some different sort of value that it's all right if Hugh Grant gets up to a bit of naughtiness, as you talked about, sips and things. Also, you see in America, actually, it's not so much the well, tabloid press is different, but also you've got... Uh, You've got TMZ, which is, you know, what's TMZ? It's, a, it's effectively a television programme that, you know, exposes yeah. celebrity. We'll be getting that here at some stage. Some, yeah. some person will take something like Holy Moly and turn it into a much more interactive service, I would imagine. And where you've got, you have the sort of Gawker and all those sorts of websites, they haven't taken hold here, partly, I suppose, because our tabloid press yeah. does that. Yeah. And, actually, and actually does it much well, better and also ways. there are press regulations etc to guarantee a certain mm. kind of behaviour which actually is less sure in the, in the digital space yeah. well that's enough Hugh Grant who personally I can never forgive for the film Nine Months uh, but that's all for now um, there's more on all of this on mediaguardian.co.uk OK, it's now time to talk radio. So, uh, Paul, it's over to you. A, qu- a quick one on last week's Sonys uh, while you were in Bali. It was a good, uh, good night for TalkSport. Yeah, I mean, TalkSport carried off Station of the Year. And it's been a, a long gestation for TalkSport, really. I mean, starting in 1995, as it did, and, and uh, starting with the shock jocks and, and going through a whole so- series of evolutions. But great, uh, great result for them. And I think deservedly so, and also for Moz D, who won Programme of the Year. Um, they've worked very hard the last two or three years and really made TalkSport into something that actually is different to what the BBC offers. And, of course, great rage are too so double win there uh, and any, any, any other standouts for you Jeremy Vine was a was a double winner for his Radio 2 show yeah I mean Jeremy Vine is a very very deserving win I think it was also good to see there was a good spread of commercial wins uh, you know I think in the past the Sony's have been criticised because the BBC always carries off the lion's share and of course you know some categories you know drama and, and, and maybe some of the current affairs categories they're always going to but the commercial sector did very well you know across the board there were some smaller stations and larger stations so I think um, there's definitely harmony this year no one sort of uh, um, carping about the categories and saying you know it wasn't fair and there's much speculation about the future of um, absolute radio after its uh, after its owner um, reviewed its uk business and Talksport, uh, Talksport's parent company utv is said to be the, the front runner to buy it uh, do you see that do you see them as a natural bedfellows i think it's possible i mean absolute radio is interesting isn't it because if you listen to absolute radio i think most people would agree it sounds better than virgin radio which it replaced you know as a as a radio station in terms of the way the djs sound the live music you know the whole sort of music plot but its audience figures have been crap and they've continued to be crap for a long time now whether that's about the way radar works and the the diary method we have to put a sticker in the diary and so a brand that's well known like virgin is going to get more stickers than a brand that's unknown like absolute not forgetting the vodka um it could be that or it could just be they've lost a lot of audience but it hasn't been a commercial success and and they're losing money debts of four or five million pounds so you know how long will the times of india keep going with that there's going to be a finite period of time it's up for review utv could be a very good owner now it doesn't mean of course the fact they can do speech radio uh sport radio means they can actually do virgin radio absolute radio it's a different sort of audience but it might be it might be a good home certainly i think uh, maybe the numbers up with the times of india they're running out of patience 
And there'd appear to be some synergy there. Both national stations, both uh, lumbered, some would say, with AM uh, frequencies, uh, both broadcast Premier League football. Yeah, the, the football is one. I mean, obviously, selling is the major one. The commercial opportunity is the major one. You know, selling the two together, uh, that should help them with the, with the advertising play. Um, operationally, there's probably some savings, too, in terms of back office. But they need to learn how to program music, and that's obviously not in the UTV um, sort of skill set at the moment. Well, one more, one more radio station worthy of a mention, which was a, another Sony winner, uh, Fun Kids, which was the uh, digital station of the year now uh, the bbc uh not exactly pulled many trees up when it comes to children's radio uh and they've never actually had a children's digital network which some people think that they should have uh maggie brown's written a, a rather excellent piece uh, on media guardian here uh, praising the work of fun kids uh saying it's the future of, of children's radio uh, do, do you agree well, I think Maggie made some very good points. First of all, I don't understand why the BBC has always decided not to serve kids. I mean, going back to the days of Radio 5, before Radio 5 Live, there were some really good kids shows on there, uh, Wiggly Park and stuff like that, which Jenny Abramski at the time was championing. And then they got rid of it when Radio 5 Live came along. And now they've taken the kids stuff off BBC 7. Uh, to me, it seems as though serving kids is a public purpose, and the BBC therefore should be serving kids. Now, the question is whether they want radio or not, and that's a different, bigger debate. But... Um, for the BBC not to be serving children, other than on television and online, seems to be odd, given that fun radio, uh, fun kids are getting an audience of about a quarter of a million. They actually are getting a real audience. So um, here's, a, here's a sort of a, a gap in the market that's being filled when maybe the public service broadcasters should be doing it. Um, they're a good bunch. I mean, Gregory Watson and, uh, and Matt Deegan who run it, they're, they're really passionate, they're really keen. This station grew out of um, a station that was called Abracadabra that was run by Susan Stranks. And it was originally a joint venture with Hit Entertainment and GWR and, and then they, they bought it Folder Media bought it um, they're really committed to it and they're doing it on a shoestring but it sounds really good and it's definitely pulling in an audience the trick for them is whether they can make it now into a business and make money it's still loss making uh, so they've got a, a way to go but uh, good luck to them and you can find Fun Kids on DAB I think in London and, uh, and online no, don't say we didn't warn you. We're about to start our bumper TV review section. And we've been joined by Vicky Frost, Guardian.co.uk's TV editor, of course. Vicky, welcome along. Hello. Bit of news to get started off. Glee is heading to Sky. Now, it's my favourite all-time show. Is it? Well, I've seen about no. 30 seconds of it. Right. I think I caught the wrong 30 seconds. It put me off. Well, uh, but, uh, and, and it's going to Sky. Been bought up by Sky. Yeah, so it's going from E4 to Sky, which I think is quite interesting. I mean, it, it still does massive figures uh, for E4. I think it's their biggest show. But it, I sort of feel it's on the wane, to be honest. It was extremely, you know, everyone was talking about it a lot during the first season. It's sort of gone downhill. I don't know how long it's got left in it. And actually, E4, I'm sure it would like the ratings. But I don't think, you know, it had it when it was new and now Sky picks it up when it's not so new and it's not so hot, really. It's a hoary old Sky tactic, isn't it? Sort of mm. uh, waiting for a show to prove itself on the terrestrials and then, uh, then moving in and uh, splashing the cash. 24 lost other yeah, shows. Yeah, it doesn't make Sky look great, does it? Because they're all things we can watch for free and then suddenly we've all got to pay for them once Sky comes in and snaffles them up, i.e. Mad Men. So I'm not sure it's the best PR trick in the world. Wayne, I guess if Sky get 10,000 extra subscribers, they'll be happy. Uh, you know, they'll well, put up with a bit of negative PR. I, th- I think there's a lot of sense in, in what you say. However, last night I went home to find my nine-year-old watching episodes of Glee 
on her Apple Mac, you know, just illegally, I should hasten to add, I had to explain to her what piracy was, which was quite an interesting conversation. That's so impressive. She knew how to do that. Though, I, yeah, no, well, no, it's easy. You put Google and it comes up. I mean, it's quite interesting. Really? I could do it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. And uh, I think what's interesting, it's a brand, isn't Not it? Not that we're condoning that, obviously, no, at The Guardian. No, no, no. Well, I, I told her off because actually, you know, that's my business. You can't undermine your own father's business. Who's going to put food on your, your plate? But I, I think it's more about a, a brand with glee, um, you know, the, the, the music and, and everything else. And that's what I think is quite interesting about it. So, Wayne, I'm, I'm guessing your daughter, you haven't caught her uploading uh, illegal uh, copies of Taggart, which uh, ITV have canned after uh, 27 years. Only because of the Do you think they've, they've, they've canned it just as a sort of two fingers to STV? Is, is that what it's about? You're alluding there that STV and ITV have had their differences You've over the last few illusion, years. Yes. I have, um, just for listeners who are, yes. are not aware of this. Uh, they, did, they did settle that. They came to an agreement earlier this year. Uh, but I think well, partly it's to do with the fact the last uh, series averaged, I think, fewer than four million viewers across um, north and south of the border. Uh, you, you a Taggart man, Paul? Oh, no, no, no. I mean, <laughs> even, even when it was Mick McManus. Was it Mick McManus? I mean, was he a wrestler? I mean, to, something like that. Oh. But to run that show so many years after the lead guy died, and I mean, to keep it going. I mean, <laughs> did you get like, a replacement? We should oh, have. I was thinking, thank God. <laughs> Kill it off! I'm I'm so pleased. Uh, okay, well, uh, big shows last week. Of course, Eurovision. But uh, did you did you enjoy it this year, Vicky? We built it up big last week. I did. I was lucky, wasn't I? I sort of said it's going to be brilliant this year, and then happily, uh, it did massive ratings. Even though Blue and Jedward didn't do that well, peaked with nearly 13 million viewers, which is uh, cowlesque. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. And you know, and they did very well against Britain's Got Talent, which has been a bit week this year to be oh, honest nice. oh, actually it was interesting though with that whole you know caving into the crowd last week see i sat there yeah. going simon cow would never have done that oh that was wasn't that they pr have, it was but it was sort of a bit weak and Excuse rubbish me. i love michael mcintyre i mean i think he is just brilliant as a comedian you? yeah i think he's really funny as a comedian it's very sort of but he's just was a bit he's a bit rubbish paul are you I mean, watching any of these saturday night talent shows uh, well, well, I've, been, I've been away i've been i've been away i did oh. i did have i did have a hard drive evening with the Eurovision so it was bizarre I, <laughs> I, I, yes. I wish I was there <laughs> yeah because yeah. I'd, I'd arranged to be text in Indonesia so I knew what was happening with Blue and, and, and really Colin. yeah yeah absolutely so I, I wanted to know what the result was so I got the result how old are you Paul uh, exactly no, got the result related, got I the result thinking. but I couldn't I couldn't watch it I got back on Tuesday night so Tuesday night was watch the Eurovision you know straight through although I knew what the result was but still fantastic I thought it was wonderful and less block voting this year I thought it was actually not quite so blatant oh it was oh, so it wasn't as blatant no what? No, it wasn't. Oh, no, no, no. Ridiculous. I thought it was. Look, we wouldn't have got 100 votes otherwise, 100 points otherwise. I, of course, have uh, actually been to Eurovision twice because I used to oversee God, Paul it is very envious. I'm extremely envious. I did Istanbul. Can I go in Riga. your suitcase next time, please? Well, put it this way there are more straight men in the cabin crew than there were in the rest of the plane on the way over. It is a fantastic festival. Yeah. Actually, it's a great thing. If you ever get the chance to go, Azerbaijan. Mm. Azerbaijan. I can't see how that's going to play out there. Really, <laughs> no. It was odd enough in that was Istanbul. A weird winner. Oh, my God. As Graham Norton said, have they got any decent hotels? That was the first, uh, yeah. his first question. Uh, now, it didn't get as many viewers, but it was probably almost as talked about was the Doctor Who episode last week, oh, written yeah, by yeah. Uh, Neil Gaiman. Yeah, yeah. Well, according to sort of hardcore Who fans, I'm not one of those. I'm a casual viewer. Uh, it was the best Doctor Who ever since it's come back, basically. Oh, my goodness, was, I haven't seen that either, because that's also my hard drive. But I, I've been watching since 1963, you know, uh, so I have actually got probably most episodes on DVD. So, I mean, this is one... This, I'm looking forward to this tomorrow night, actually. It, tomorrow night's a Doctor Who night. It's really good. And yeah, is Saran, it really? Saran Jones is fantastic. This has been a very good season, it? I think. And this, so far, this season has been fantastic. So, yeah, Paul, if, yeah. if, if Matt Smith enters Eurovision, you're in TV heaven. Oh, my goodness me, yeah. Um... Uh, Wayne, 
Let's talk about what's on the box in America. That's why you're here, for goodness sake. Yeah, apparently. Uh, it's, uh, it's upfront season. It is. Now, for people who think upfront is a men's magazine, tell us what they're all about. Okay, so what happens is, basically, the whole of the US network television industry camps out in New York. So all the executives, all the agents, a lot of the talent, where they have massive parties in the evenings. But before that, they have massive presentations to the advertising community in which they tell them about the programs they're going to be launching in the autumn and then right the way through the next broadcast year, which starts effectively in September all the way through. So it's, it's a massive showcase where people get the first look at programs. And what you've got to remember about these programs, from my own experience of, of having one in an upfront once, is, is that you'll be watching the pilots. They, they make the pilots, and it's picking up the pilots. So even though they've ordered a series of 14 episodes of a drama for early autumn transmission, you can bet your bottom dollar none of the episodes have been written yet, let alone made. So there's an enormous risk. And of all the programs that get mentioned at the upfronts, it's very rare that 50% of them see the season out and even rarer for more than one or two to become hits. And what were the big shows this year? I hear there's a, there's a new Charlie's Angels coming to well, ABC, is well, that right? Well, 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 I'll tell you what's interesting. It was the, it's a new season, but it's the first season for two important people, Bob Greenblatt, who runs NBC, who's come from Showtime, and Paul Lee, who's an English guy, who is now running ABC. He was formerly running uh, ABC Family, and before that, BBC America. And, and what's quite interesting, even though they've come from very different places, they've both sort of picked oddly so they're quite similar things so they've both picked a 60s based drama so NBC have got the Playboy Club which is kind of like it's a bit like Mad Men but it's possibly showgirls and will almost inevitably be neither and uh, ABC have got Pam Am which is set in the 60s and, and the uh, uh, the Pan you know, the, the airline uh, they've got lots of female skewing drama uh, NBC have picked up a show called Smash which is about a Broadway musical which seems like this season's glee uh, uh, ABC have got Good Christian Bells, uh, Prime Suspect. As, as Prime Suspect, picked, picked yeah, a UK well. show, hopefully going to yeah, do we, we, rather well. Which will be interesting. And both of them have picked up a modern retelling of fairy stories. There's a programme called Once Upon a Time, which features the stories of the Grimm, the Brothers Grimm. And there's another one called Grimm, which features the stories of the Brothers Grimm. It's disproven that idea that there's no new, uh, no original ideas in TV. Uh, abso- abso- yeah. Absolutely. So, of, of all of that, I mean, the, the biggest show of the season, probably, in terms of scripted, will be Terra Nova, which is Spielberg's dinosaur epic, which is going to be on Fox. There, there, there's some sort of internet rumours it's not very good, etc. But from what I've seen, the dinosaurs look absolutely fantastic, and it's part of my, my belief there are always four subject matters in, in, in television you never, you never go wrong on, which is dinosaurs, ancient Rome, ancient Egypt, and Nazis. And if you can get one of those right, you will, you will have a, a blockbuster. Uh, and you mentioned some big shows there. When do we find out which of those shows are going to come over here and where they're going to air? Well, so what happens next week... Uh, in Los Angeles, then everyone goes back to Los Angeles and they have um, a series of, rev- of uh, reviews for um, broadcasters around the world all come to LA and they get to see the pilots of the programmes and there they will start to negotiate and pick up some of them. But how many will come over? It's questionable, actually, because what's interesting now in Britain is who's going to buy them? You know, we had that discussion about if you're Channel 4, really... Would you invest the kind of money you'll have to to pick up an American drama if you know that if you make it into a hit, by the time you've really seen the value of investment coming back, it's going to be stolen by Sky? I think that's going to colour a lot of people's um, thoughts. The BBC's got no money for acquisitions. Uh, The one I'm really excited about is there's lots of new comedies, Free Agents, which is an amazing... um, I, I don't think... 
Lots of British companies get uh, scripts picked up and piloting. Very few British companies get a original drama or comedy away in America. And Big Talk, the rather small new English uh, production company that's got free agents away in America, that is a major achievement. And that's part of the NBC schedule. So that'll be fun. And that was on Channel 4 over here. That was Sorry. in Channel 4 and dropped after one series. Inexplicably. It was terribly underrated. I always thought it was great. Sharon Horgan was fantastic. She had this absolutely brilliant wardrobe. It was fantastic. She had like basically driving glo- leather driving gloves in every colour of the rainbow and she just wore them in different scenes. It was brilliant, the best thing ever. Um, and I always thought it was a real shame it never got another series. I never understood why, to be honest. It was great. Well, it sounds lovely. Okay, that will. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, okay, well, that will do for this week. Uh, before we go, I want to find out what you've all learnt on your media travels this week. So, uh, Vicky, do you want to tell us something devious? Well, not really devious, uh, but I didn't know, but I do know now that the Apprentice House this year is actually the house of Catherine Jenkins and Gethin Jones. And they rented it out before they moved in to the Apprentice candidates. Really? I had no idea they were a couple. Well, they are, yes. Yeah, extraordinary. Well, thank you. Jane, over to you. Well, actually, on The Apprentice, I learned the cost of chamomile flowers, which I think is so ridiculous. And that that place is just by the old Guardian building. That's perhaps slightly... Um, Inside baseball. We also learnt um, from uh, the tabloids that we're all very critical of this week um, that Davinia Taylor, who is selling her house, has an entire wall of vintage books, which she claims not to have read, which opens up to reveal a giant fridge. I thought that was the best bit of retail estate. Uh, just uh, just for older listeners, uh, who's Davinia Taylor? Uh, and for younger listeners <laughs> as well, actually. Isn't she She's in Hollyoaks? About yeah. ten years ago. Actress. Yeah. And, yeah. Still. Uh, yeah, I've got, I've got a phrase that doubles as a book. Uh, and Paul Robinson, what have you learned this week? Well, as you know, I travel a lot and I always like to pick up the bulks because I think, well, free newspaper, why not? I'll read it. So I'll read anything, really. Um, and uh, I was reading this particular newspaper on my travels last week. You and the, the two it when it's free on an aeroplane. No, no, I like to... I, <laughs> I, 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 I take them all. I take them all and sit there and read them all, right? So I was reading this paper, front page, right? One story about a guy in Australia who's on death row who's had his sentence reduced to just being lifetime imprisonment. He was arrested when he was 18. He's now 23. That was the sort of... The story. Second story about a woman who smuggled crystal meth in part of her body into the country. And it's like gloom and doom. And what was this? The front page of the Bali Times. It ruined my trip to the beach. <laughs> well, not as much as it ruined, uh, ruined that chap's life. Uh, and uh, Wayne Garvey. Uh, well, apart from seeing my dry cleaner Bill on The Apprentice this week, which I was, I was very happy to see. Is he a contestant or was he dry cleaner? Uh, no, he was there because his dry cleaner is called Top Hat. And they didn't that sell was... Top Hat. And strange enough, they don't. Paul. That was no. my favourite Apprentice um, moment. Dara O'Brien goes there, so it's obviously a media hotspot for dry cleaning. Uh, anyway, uh, what have I learned? Well, I've learned that actually... Donald Trump decided not to run for president of America because NBC said, OK, we'll find someone else to do the uh, Celebrity Apprentice. So he decided, oh, no, in that case, I'll stay on TV. What a sad indictment. That surely there weren't that many people who would vote for him. Let's hope. Well, thank you very much, Mr Wayne Garvey, Jane Martinson, Paul Robinson and Vicky Frost. Our blog, Facebook and Twitter details are all at guardian.co.uk slash mediatalk and that's where you need to go to continue any of the discussions you've heard. Media Talk's produced by Ben Green. Matt's back next week and this is John Plunkett saying ta-da for now. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.